The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and wonderful to be back again for another week of the Business Elevation Show. And today I'm delighted uh, to welcome a new guest to the show, Kirsten Plave. Um, We're going to talk about lessons of a business ranger, about leadership inspiration from the African wilderness. And for anybody who's listened to a number of these shows, you'll know that Africa is somewhere that I particularly feel uh, very fond of. Uh, But before we talk to Kirsten, um, I'd like to say a huge thank you to my guest last week. I thought Kevin Routledge was a fascinating person to interview. He's the chairman of the Leicester Riders, which is the number one uh, basketball team in the United Kingdom. And I thought it was fascinating talking to him because whether you're running massive projects, because he one stage was leading the biggest um, building of an oil refinery in the United States, um, and then he's gone on to, to basketball and various other um, projects that he leads. But whether you're running these massive projects or it's a team of basketball champions, the key is all about engaging with people and really engaging with them at a very deep level. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to Kevin, who very kindly, after the interview, asked me to uh, bring my family to uh, see the Riders play last Sunday in their biggest cup game of the season in their semi-final. And they won and they treated so well. Uh, my children and, and, and family are all smiling uh, still from uh, that lovely experience. So a huge thank you to the Leicester Riders. So from leadership on basketball court, uh, to um, to today's um, conversation um, about what we can learn uh, from leadership from elephants, leopards, lions, and their parallels to the business world. We're going to talk today to um, a guest that I'm delighted to be talking with, uh, Kirsten Plave, who I'll refer to in the interview as KP, um, as, as she likes to be referred to. She's an entrepreneur, she's a speaker, she's a best-selling author, an author who was born in Munich, Germany. And she divides the time between uh, Munich and Germany or Germany and um, the United States. Kirsten is an international business expert and thought leader. She's worked with uh, some amazingly well-known uh, top politicians. I'm sure she'll share more of that a bit later. Uh, Olympic athletes and corporate executives. And her busy life as a keynote speaker and the owner of a company and a philanthropist has brought her to more than 25 countries, including South Africa and Japan and the USA. Now, in her early 40s, hence the title, she followed her core passion and became a ranger in the South African wilderness, which led to a best-selling book that's inspired thousands of readers to refuel their passions and grow beyond their comfort zone. 
So I'm delighted to uh, talk today about um, Lessons of a Business Ranger, inspired by Kirsten's African adventures and her business experience and her political adventures. So a huge welcome today to Kirsten Playbay. Hi, Chris, and thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Hi, you're very welcome. And you're actually, when we spoke, um, when we were preparing for this interview, you're in Germany, but you're now in Miami. Uh, tell us, you know, why do you live between the two countries and where are you at the moment? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think I just love being around in the world, but Miami and um, also Germany are just very favorite places of mine. Germany is, you know, where I grew up. But Miami and uh, the United States is just a place for me where I can get in touch with what I call the entrepreneurial and open spirit of mind. And this is what America still stands for, for me. It's a great place for creativity and for thinking big. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's often, isn't it? There's quite a lot of, you know, thinking that, you know, in Europe that's, you know, come from America. And we're very influenced, aren't we, by what goes on in America. It's a, it's a great place to learn. Yes, it is. And uh, all my life, I loved learning. Was it in politics, looking at the, you know, U.S. presidential election campaigns or from U.S. thought leaders? Uh, but also, I think the, 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 the wisdom lies in combining whatever you see and, and applying that to your own life, to your own business. And so I, you know, travel back from the U.S. to, to my home or to my client's base, wherever I get booked for a keynote speech. And I just love sharing those experiences because, you know, in the end, Chris, we are in such a global world. We, we are happy to have more experiences that are international. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that really is that, that research that you do there. It is very valuable for people. I find with, uh, you know, with this radio show, and this is this is number 245, I get the, the honour to speak to people all over the world. I don't actually have to leave home, which is quite nice with a young family, but I, I have the honour to learn. Yeah, <laughs> learn from people that's like perfect. yourself. And it, it's, uh, it's really wonderful. And that some of that information is valuable to my clients as well. Absolutely, I believe that. You know, it's meeting inspiring people uh, that are open to share their knowledge, their experiences, also about the negative things they have experienced is just, I think, so helpful. So, again, I'm delighted to be here today and also to be able to share some of my experiences in the wild or in the <laughs> big game of politics or the executive corporate world, wherever. <laughs> so, well, well, let's start. Let's start early on. Then let's start with, you know, what was life like growing up for you in Germany and and how did that lead to this you know, entrepreneurial street which you've got? Because you have been a real significant entrepreneur in your lifetime. Yeah, well, I don't know what led me there, but I do think that everybody, every single person in the world has some, what we would call maybe an entrepreneurial spirit within themselves. Uh, I, I think it's in everybody to be an entrepreneur. The only question is, do you trust your instincts and your, your uh, creativity to follow that path. And I decided to follow that path quite early. I think my, I've built my first company when I was 19 or so. Um, and, um, and from then on, I just thought it's, it, it was just the perfect fit between entrepreneurship and what I thought how companies should be and act like. And so I've never really fit into, you know, huge corporate cultures and I just rather was a builder and architect myself but it is in everybody we just need to trust our entrepreneurial spirit and follow it 
But did your, I mean, did your, fa- were your family very entrepreneurial? Because I think about, I think about mine, and to be quite honest with my family, it was all about getting a job, get a job, get a job. And it was only a bit later on in life when I'd done that corporate piece that I, you know, that really started to get this urge to do something entrepreneurial because I really kind of started to discover it for the first time. So, you know, were you in an entrepreneurial family as such? Not at all, actually. My dad was working in a big, uh, big international company in a high management position. And they were, I think, very um, standardized in the way of, you know, finish school, go to university. and But they were also very giving me every freedom and, you know, do whatever you feel um, you want to do. So I never had pressure in not becoming an entrepreneur. But I think even that pressure wouldn't have held me back because my first company, which was a photo business, I just loved that it brought me in so much money that I could afford, you know, to buy my first car and and all those nice things that you think are just so important. And I didn't never wanted to ask my parents for money. So for me, entrepreneurship was also a way to be free, you know, from whatever constraints you have at home. And so... No, my parents just gave me the freedom to do what I felt like doing, and that was good. I I am very thankful for that. That's that's, that's great. And and, and did this this sort of desire to travel because you very you know very extensively travelled, uh, was that something that you, you you did when you were younger as a child with your family, or is it something that you maybe dreamed about and have turned into reality? Um. I was very um, privileged that my dad worked international. We spent a couple of years in South Africa. Later on, my parents lived in, in, in China. So, so that was an international upbringing. But I think even without that, I would have just loved to travel myself because I think, you know, there's so much adventure out there outside of our homes and outside of our countries that I it, it, it just pulled me. My favorite um, magazine when I was a kid was National Geographic. Oh, yeah, I didn't know at that point that my book would be with Nat- National Geographic, whatever, <laughs> 40 years later <laughs> or 30 <laughs> years later. Uh, but it was just, you know, I love adventure. And um, so often you don't find that at your kitchen table. So I tend to travel, yes. <laughs> they were great. National Geographic. I, I remember a relative of mine, because I, I came from family in the north of England and we, we didn't travel and you know my father had to work double shifts so that we could have a holiday each year in in England so but but somebody gave me a big pile of Ge- National Geographic um, magazines and I'd, I'd flick through those and I'd imagine myself going to all these places in them um, but it was a wonderful way to kind of you know for me at that stage to start to experience what other countries were like really um, but they're, they're great aren't they full of photographs and very inspiring. Yes, yes, I thought I think so too. And every country has its own um, specific mister, mysterious um, sources that you can tap into when you travel, and especially when you travel outside of the typical touristic uh, tracks. And so I think it's a great way to um, g- grow yourself, but also as a, as a leader in, in business because it just adds to your own perspectives. And it makes you a much better leader if you if if you're open-minded and if you have seen a lot and interacted with very very diverse people and very diverse backgrounds, and have just seen more than just you know your own little corner office. And and we we should mention you know in your early forties and, and we'll come back to the sort of politics um, 
in your your sort of bio as well um, shortly but in your early 40s you learned to become a park ranger in Africa and what you know kind of inspired that so you know were you fulfilling a, a childhood dream absolutely yes um my first wish uh, sort of uh, when I thought about you know what I want to work as when I grow up I think I was 10 years old was um, I wanted to become a ranger in Kruger Park which is a big big national reserve in South Africa and um, of course nobody believed me (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't know I would end up as a TV analyst for politics years later but by then I wanted to become a ranger but thankfully um, through one of my books I met a lady a female leader from Ireland, and she asked me what if I remembered my childhood dream, and I didn't, which made me very sad because I, I didn't feel that old then. I was, I think, in 30s or so, and I thought, God, I, why is it that I can't remember that? And so I started thinking and memorizing, and I did. My childhood dream came back to me, and um, I decided to fulfill it because, um, first of all, I made... Um, Casey a, a promise that if that would that memory would feel good I would do it which is crazy thing because I didn't know what it is <laughs> what it was then but also because I just felt a, a sense of joy and happiness and also to be honest boredom in my regular job as a CEO of a Berlin-based consultancy so mm-hmm. I decided to do that and I'm telling you Chris it was the best thing I did as an adult ever mm-hmm. <laughs> It I was can, worth it. I can imagine. That must have been absolutely amazing. But you, and and you, you were the CEO of your own business, weren't you? Um, yes. You created a business. This, was this the market research business, man, politics? Yeah, it was, a cons- it was a strategy consulting and market research business for political parties and NGOs to help them with to be more efficient and more successful with campaigns, be it political campaigns or fundraising campaigns or um, just getting messages out that we thought and they thought were important. Mm. And what was the sort of, because there's quite a few people working in that business, wasn't there? It was, yes, there are. Stuff. But I mean, you know, all the markets are pretty tense nowadays. And our speciality was to combine technology and data um, with sort of communication strategies so that you develop more targeted messages and um don't waste so much, so many marketing dollars and just, you know, stay focused and acquire new target groups, which for political parties was and is very, very important because if you look at the millennials, for example, they really are not very keen on voting, which we've seen in the U.S. election, which we see in, which we have seen in the U.K. Brexit thing, mm. which we've seen in Germany. So it is important to get in touch with people and convince them and and start a dialogue with them. And we helped um, companies, but also political parties to do exactly that. And what did you, what have you learned about, about leadership from working with politicians? I think mainly, and that's the main difference uh, to the corporate world is I, I was, I was, and I am every time I work with uh, political clients impressed by their first of personal leadership abilities by their complete will to perform basically 24 hours by being with their message and and, and standing up for what you believe in. I think uh, you find that much more often in politics than unfortunately in the corporate world. And also what I've learned is and what I've seen all over the place and in, in nearly every country I've worked in 
is the ability to deal with crisis and to be prepared for crisis. Because, you know, when I was with the Hillary Clinton campaign, there was not one single day without a crisis. And you have to be prepared. You have to have your crisis teams in place. You have to have your communication in place, etc. And they have to be prepared. And often what we see with large corporations, they are not very well prepared. They think when a crisis comes, they follow their routines and their org charts. And what they see is that that doesn't work. You know, social media is so much faster than them. And the media has become so much faster that their standardized routines just... Um, uh, don't work. So crisis management is something that really, really you can can learn from political parties and, and, and leaders, especially in presidential campaigns. And that's really interesting because, I mean, there's quite, tends to be quite low trust uh, with with politics. And yes. it's actually, it's great to hear you there, you know, sharing some of the virtues from from politicians. Um yeah, quite, quite interesting. No, there are many, many, Chris. I, I'm often so sorry for the for all, not just my political clients, but for politicians all over the world because the image of politics, I'm telling you, is much worse than 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 the political leaders themselves. And um, it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy, you know. The image is bad, so nobody really wants to is enthusiastic about voting, and because they are not enthusiastic, um, sometimes the wrong people get mobilized to vote and then the wrong leaders come up and everybody's unhappy in the end. But this is not how the world works. You know, the world works on uh, participation and everybody who has a, an, an opinion on something should participate in the democratic processes and political parties, it's their job, you know, to, to, to do that. But it's hard because they are not trusted. And, but the corporate world is similar. You know, who trusts a big brand today? It's mm. a big crisis on trust. It is. Well, um, perfect point there to go to commercial break. Um, after the commercial break, we're going to we'll move, I think, from polit politicians to animals. And uh, we'll start to talk about some of the lessons that uh, Kirsten had while you know, it's reflected on, really, since her experiences of being a ranger in Africa. So yes. uh, do join us again. Just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Kirsten Playbay, and we're talking about uh, the lessons from a business ranger about leadership um, being inspired from the African wilderness. And I'm, I, I'd love to keep on talking about politics. Um, we haven't really, uh, you know, only scratched the surface with Kirsten because Kirsten is a you know, regularly, continuously, has been in the past on TV in Germany talking about uh, politics and, uh, and involved with the political campaigns. But let's talk a bit about animals right now and. And Kirsten, from that experience that you had in Africa and your kind of reflections, what are some of the things that we can learn uh, from uh, wild animals about leadership? Well, I think, well, first off, animals are just such great examples because in comparison to politicians, you know, everybody loves animals, you know, <laughs> what we talked about <laughs> earlier. So, um it's everybody likes to to see them to watch them and when you see them in the wild you immediately realize their imminent beauty you know where the they are in the place where they belong and that brings me to leaders sometimes with leaders you have a feeling that they're not authentic right you have a feeling that they say something that was sort of pre-factured and it's not just their authentic self and this is often because, you know, we as humans, we put so much pressure on us and we think we have to conf- be congruent in a certain role. But the only task the animal has is to be herself, uh, to, be, to play, uh, use her strength to survive. And this is what makes nature such a great classroom for leadership because you can um, re- be very close to them and just, um, watch what they are doing, how they are doing it, and reflect that for yourself and say, well, am I always that focused as this lion that is chasing um, that prey? And often you will say, no, you know, I'm not focused. I'm thinking of when I have a business meeting or when I talk to my employee, I think about uh, my home shopping list. I think about my kids. I think about my boss. I think about Facebook. I look at my watch. Well, if a lion would do that, you know, he would he would starve because you can't be effective if you're not focused. So there are many, many things we can learn when we're out there in the wild. But my, my most impressive thing was um, when we watched a herd of elephants. And this is why I called my book The Wisdom of the Elephants, because what we saw is that the the leader of the herd, which is a woman, interesting enough, elephants are led by women, and it's okay to everybody. They don't need a quota, you know. They just <laughs> they they are led by a matriarch. Mm. And um, when you watch that um, leader of the herd, you will see that every couple minutes, this elephant 
will freeze like you know like it's it, it, it's ice it doesn't move anymore and I asked my top ranger when we were sitting in that grass watching the herd I said what what is she doing when she does nothing and he said something very very important he said she's not doing nothing she is focusing on herself on her whole herd however spread out it is plus on the surrounding so she basically, without us humans seeing that, uh, gets an inner sense of how she feels. She gets a sense for every single team member of her herd, plus the circumstances around it. And this can only be because she's completely aware of the moment. You know, this, this complete um, sense of here I am, this is how I feel, this is what surrounds me. And we often miss that in, in our overly busy and mediated world. We, we don't even, a lot of um, executives don't even have a clue how they feel and how their team feels. But you can sense that and you can learn that by using, starting to use again your five senses. Not just the visual that you see, you know, look in the face of your people. Sometimes that doesn't even happen. In a, in a good way, but by really being present in the moment. And if you want to become a ranger, if anybody of you listening want to become a ranger, this is the first lesson you will have to learn, to use your five senses to be aware in the moment. And it's a great, great tool for anybody who's busy in their families, in their jobs, or in leadership positions. Yeah, so, certainly with uh, in the environment out there in Africa with... Uh, you know, the risk when it is about life and death. At September, I was walking through African plains with uh, with a Maasai tribe, and you know, you're you're gathering your thoughts on what's around you, and you you have to be aware, don't you? But sometimes, as you say, in the busy business world, we we lose sight of what's important. So we do it at home too, because there's just so much stimuli. There's so much stimuli, and also um, sometimes we forget to look for the small signals. You yeah. know, when you tra track animals in Africa as a ranger, you look for one grass thing that has been twitched. You know, very detailed view. In our world, we don't look at many details. We, we look, you know, we get a we glimpse at something because there's so much, as you say, so much around us. And especially in the area of communication, uh, I do a lot of trainings in that field where I just teach my clients to look for the details in the faces, in the eyes, um, when people are um, swallowing, you know, why they are not, why they are swallowing in, in that moment, etc. So those micro, micro movements in the skin, you know, those never, never, ever lie, help you to be such a better communicator. If you're able to see that, and anybody can learn that, we just have to get ourselves to do this again and not think, oh, my God, you know, anybody can talk, <laughs> you know, anybody can talk, but there are just very few good communicators around. So with, and with that communication, it's, it's kind of, it's two ways, isn't it? It's, it's being able to observe those signals in others, but also being mindful of the signals that you're giving out. Absolutely. And being mindful of yourself and what's happening around you. So this is sort of the balance we as busy people and executives have to find between staying very focused and very aware of the moment, plus opening our, I call this the outer eye, 
to what's going on in our surrounding, in the markets, in the competition with our clients and all of this. So you're sort of internal and external at the same time, just for the goal of, you know, creating an excellent client relationship, an excellent outcome of your meeting or whatever your task is. Mm. When we talk about communication, I mean, one of the, with, with African wildlife, one of the things that springs to my mind is meerkats, you know, mm-hmm. the way that they're kind of, you know, there's one always sort of looking out and then they're communicating if there's, there's trouble. Um, yes. you, you talk there about kind of, you know, in the sort of senses, but you know, is there anything that you sort of picked up about the way we should communicate? Any lessons? Well, first of all, I love meerkats. I just think they are so cute. And what they're also very good in is they have an excellent teamwork. As you said, Chris, they, you know, one is always uh, watching. Um, and they, of course, they change their roles. And you know what? They also um, don't need a hierarchy chart or an org chart as we <laughs> have that in our organizations. Um, they adapt very flexible. Um, to you know who's sleeping who's working who's who's getting food outside so that so that all the tasks change all the time and you see the same thing when lions um, go for their prey it's not always the same lioness attacking not by far it's the one that is best suited to do the job for example if it's an animal that is you know rather big it will be a certain lioness that has very strong legs to do the jump if it's an animal that's very fast and small and very, you know, doing the zigzag, zigzag lines um, on, the, on, on the grass, then it might be a, a, a lioness that's very uh, speedy. It's not the same role all the time. It's a very flexible model of leadership, we would call it, and using the talent in your team. So if it's a meerkat or lion, it doesn't matter. And it's the same thing in, 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 in communication, involving the whole team and using their strength for, for what the task is right now and their talents. And also, of course, you know, for us humans, being a very, very good listener, much better than we usually are because, you know, we also have to hear the things that are unsaid and have to see, you know, what you usually don't see just to f- give power to our team and to make sure that everybody is the best person and the best brings out the best result that, that they're able to bring out. And often this is overseen and not even thought as important because, you know, time is so, everybody is stressed and the routines are just so overloading. But this is bullshit. We have to change the rules of business in order to be successful today. This is at least what I believe. Yeah, I, I think it's very, very valuable. And, and you know, what we're talking about here, the, the task for you know, a lion um, hunting is it's it's life or death, isn't it? Uh, whereas, you know, with you know, that's what's really that's what's really really important with human beings in business. Then often it's not life and death. Um, you know, versus maybe working in a hospital in an A and E department, uh, you yes. know, where, which commands great focus. However, to do things well uh, and do them really well as a team, you have to kind of create that environment whereby people really uh, do see the task as being important and you know pull together very effectively. Um, Absolutely. So I suppose kind of seeing in in the tasks that people are doing, you know, what getting get, getting down like the life or death there for the. 
for the lion in terms of eating, what are the really important things and making sure everybody does them really well? Absolutely. And I think um, this is an absolute duty of the leader to um, bring out and communicate what is the importance here. And as we all know, in order to motivate people today, it's not just the money anymore. You know, it's purpose, for example. It's an emotion that we create in our clients. Um, It's something where we help help them achieve something. And I remember a talk I did on um, what I call five senses management, where you it, it was a talk I did for a ho- the hotel and hospitality industry. And I told them how they have the ability, by using <laughs> ranger knowledge, recreating the rooms by using their five senses. You know, you start to smell how the hotel smells, you start to touch the floor you start to see the the microscopic things in your guests faces etc etc so using your five senses and and a hotel manager came up after the talk and said oh my god i really like to send my whole team to africa to experience exactly that and i said you don't have to go to africa to experience that bring them in a room bring them in towards your reception and have them you know close their eyes I often work with blind people, Olympioniques, for example, um, that cannot see. And uh, I've learned from them how you you train your other senses to recreate the outer image. You, you create it in your head and then you recreate it on the outside by using different materials, by saying different words, by adjusting your voice, etc. So it's a great... We have so many great in- instruments, but we just don't take the time often to explore them more or to put them in place because often we feel, you know, it's, it's we don't have the space or the creative space in our companies to do that. And I'm sure that the leaders in the market will change exactly that kind of corporate culture to a corporate culture that really wants the survival piece, that wants excellency, and therefore it requires um, exactly people having the courage to go a different route, you know, to say something different to the client and not the typical routine thing. Somebody mm. who smells that little, little burnt coffee smell in the restaurant area. And, you know, everybody can do it. We just have to give our people space to do it. Mm, I think it's that's hugely valuable that I'm um, using it, really standing there using your five senses to really, think about the experience that your customer's having and you know how can you how can you improve upon that yes uh, and you know Chris, those five senses they immediately um get internalized in your client and create emotions mm. far that and those emotions last far beyond the experience when they sit in your restaurant they can still relate to that emotion weeks later and they say without knowing why exactly, they say, oh my God, I love this hotel. I love the experience in this restaurant. They can't say, oh, because, you know, all my five senses were triggered. They wouldn't say that. But the emotion of deep satisfaction and feeling welcome, et cetera, et cetera, um, that will remain. It's, it, it is created and it, it remains with the people. And that's, you know, what we want. Excellent experiences all the time, every time, right, mm-hmm. for our clients. That would be great if we could create that every single time in every client interaction. Yeah, yes, because uh, you know, it is a, an emotional experience um, 
that we have with uh, some of these restaurants. I don't forget my wife and I on honeymoon. When we think about honeymoon, we had a wonderful time in Sri Lanka, but there's a moment that stands in our mind. We're having a restaurant, a meal in a beautiful restaurant, and we felt very privileged to be there. But uh, a lizard, small lizard, uh, ran underneath our table, and we love wildlife, but the... Uh, the uh, <laughs> people there decided to jump on it, and, uh, and and we watched it die in front of us. Oh my god! <laughs> like, oh, bad karma. Bad karma. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was just terrible. Um, and you yeah. know, they they were trying to be um, to deliver a high level of customer service, but they completely got us wrong because we were actually pleased to see it. <laughs> it was yeah. awful. And, um, you know what, Chris? That touches upon a other very very important uh, thing we haven't talked about yet, and this is the topic of of values. So, you know, creating emotional experiences through, your, through using the five senses model is one thing. But if your values, obviously, with those restaurant people, aren't in, in, in sync with the ethics that, you know, are yours at that time sitting in that restaurant, then nothing helps. And this is why a lot of companies and also a lot of political parties have to re, readjust and rethink the values they want to stand for and then starting to communicate them. It's a big task, but we have to do it because, you know, nobody, basically nobody trusts us as being the big brands, the big financial institutions, the big political leaders anymore. We have to start to get back to that and then, you know, put more excellence into our communication. And I guess and it's, all, it's, it's not, and it's also not just saying them, isn't it? It's got to be believed at a very, very deep level. Yeah, otherwise. You live it 360 degrees with your every single sense and through every single cell of your body. Yes. Yeah. If you don't believe it, don't do it. No, no, because otherwise you will come across as being incongruent. Yeah, and mediocre. And mediocrity, you know, doesn't help you to survive in, in markets today. Mm. I guess the challenge with that, I've just got a minute to commercial break, but they, the thing with that is once you do decide what your values are and you... You know, you play them out consistently. If you're out there doing a lot, you're always going to have someone who's criticizing you. But this is always the case, you know. <laughs> in, 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 in coaching sessions with clients, I hear that, interesting enough, mostly from women have a problem with that because women have those inner genes, I call that, where they, they want to be loved by everybody. You know, they don't want to be criticized, not by the husband, not by the partner, not by the boss. They hate being criticized. Men work with that in a very different way. Sometimes, you know, it, it increases their level of adrenaline and, and, and uh, you know, spirit of fighting, you know, and getting into that fight. Women are not that way. So they have to rely on their inner value and self-esteem system. And if there's a problem there, then you have a problem with exactly that criticism you're talking about. So in female leadership, um, in the book I did and, and, and the sessions I do, we, we realized that this is a big, big thing for women to you know look in your inner self, what are your values? Where do you draw the power from? And what how does your own self-esteem without your husband's or boss's or whoever's voice or parent's voice, what does your inner self-esteem tell you? Excellent. Well, that, we're going to talk a little bit about female leadership after the break. I know that's another passion of yours, uh, Kirsten. So we're going to get a commercial break now. We'll be back again with you in just a, a couple of minutes. So do hang on, do join us. And there'll be lots more uh, interesting insight and wisdom from Kirsten after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Kirsten Plave. We're talking about uh, lessons of a business ranger and uh, you know, leadership ideas inspired from the African wilderness. We're also going to talk, uh, move on to female leadership in a minute too. But before we do that, I just want to um, ask you a question, Kirsten, about uh, about change because it seems that to animals in Africa and animals around the world really have to adapt to change, and that's often due to human influence. What can we learn from them about adapting to change? Because it is something that's a well, it's, it's change, but it's a constant. It's continuously happening and will always do so. And it seems to be accelerating. So I just wonder, what can we learn around this important issue of change? Well, first of all, um, as a human, I would say that uh, we have to realize that we have to in- decrease our impact to the to nature dramatically because what we bring to nature this kind of change that you were talking about um, is just devastating for just so many animals Um, you know if you look at uh, the climate change or if you look at other things the ivory trade with elephants and it's just devastating to see you know what happens in the wild just because humans think about money and 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 not about uh, protection but you know from from the wild itself from every single animal what i was so fascinated about was uh, and just because as a consultant i i get i do get hired in change management projects and you know in the wild you don't need change management projects because if an animal doesn't automatically in the morning after it has slept or at night after it slept some you know they, we have the night active and the day active animals but whenever they're awake not automatically adapts to the change that is happening around them or that has happened overnight they are dead because they don't see something they 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 get shot they get killed they don't find their water hole whatever so they don't need to discuss change they don't need to understand in which direction is going they have a built-in flexibility where i think every single ceo every single leader around the world can learn from that because 
we try to um, set up systems and then teach our employees how they adapt to change. And often changes um, in human brains um, connected to something negative, something people fear. But I try to teach in my talks, show lessons of um, that change is something extremely positive. So it's a good thing to embrace change and not to fear it. It's a good thing to wanting to go for a change. And, you know, I say it even in my personal life, if nothing has changed in one week in my personal life that I have, haven't seen, I think something is wrong because every single second something changes. It's just we don't see it. So I guess for corporate um, people, I think the biggest thing that they can learn from animals is to embrace change, to be part of change. And by the way, if you want to lead a market and succeed in high competition, you might even want to be at the forefront of change, you know, and, and break the rules so that change happens within your market. So loving change, I think, would be my core message of what we can learn from animals. And that's quite interesting. Now, I'm thinking about your entrepreneurial experience and, you know, being successful as an entrepreneur that, um, you know, there's a really important question now, isn't there? How in the marketplace, you know, are we being too passive and um, maybe we should be, you know, rather than being passive as a marketplace with lots and lots of players, um, should we really embrace change and start to think, how can we really lead it? Um, how can we really be on that cutting edge? As rather than being a you know a follower, yes. How how can we be cutting edge and uh, you know let's be um, uh, very honest here, Chris. Sometimes it's within companies uh, that uh, the courage is missing. It's not that they don't see what kind of change they should establish. It's the courage of, oh my God, if I say that, what will my boss say? Um, they won't like that. You know, the board will not agree to that. So creating a culture of um, embracing change and driving change throughout the corporation is, a, I think, a, a very, very important task. And we have to fight um, the, what's the opposite of courage? The, the, uh, the fear yeah, of yeah. failure, you know, because the, the, we need the courage to try new things, to try new ways to try new approaches. And so the whole culture in a company on how we deal with mistakes is, is critical to look at. Mm. So let's, um, let's move on now to, um, to female leadership. And, you know, I know I've got to mention this. I know you've worked with closely with uh, people like Hillary Clinton and, and the Angela Merkel campaign. You've met these people, uh, you've monitored their campaigns, you spent time with them. What's, what are your observations on them as leaders? You know, why why are they special? I don't know if they are special, Chris. Maybe they are they are just less female leaders than male leaders, so that might make them a bit special, but just number-wise. I don't think they are special, but what I do think is that female leaders bring um, certain traits to the table um, of an organization that are very valuable and that are often overseen if it's a just only male dominated boardroom or whatever. And, you know, in my times as a CEO, all as a consultant with my own company, when I got hired to see the board, I was the only woman in the room. 
nearly always. So we're not talking about a lot about diversity here. But the traits that women typically uh, are able to bring in a, a more, you know, 360 degree view of um, responsibility, for example, of a more dialogue oriented and bringing people and, and, and different opinions in and in a different way in than authority by convincing people something very valuable today. And I'm a strong believer, therefore, in, in diverse, really diverse management teams that is not just women and men, but really diverse in the sense of the color of skin, um, sexual orientation, um, political views, very diverse. And you know why? Because our world where we sell our products is just so diverse. But we don't like diversity, if we're honest. You know, we'd like to just work with people that look like you and I. <laughs> so, mm, mm. so, but it doesn't work like that. So I do think that female leadership is important. This is why I'm so happy to have worked with many of female leaders, if it's in the sport business and or in the corporate world or in the political world, because they are much tougher and more hardworking than than um, many people might think, and they have great qualities that should be established on a broad, broad basis. This is why I encourage women all the time to go for leadership, to think big, and to go for the highest level that they can achieve, and not you know not accept the glass ceiling if it's a, if it's ruled by by the law or not. Forget it. You don't need quotas. You need to follow your own inner strength and believe in yourself. You can reach any height, any height. Mm. And, and from, from sort of, say, entrepreneurialism, um, what, from your perspective, makes you know, a really good female entrepreneur? It's like with most entrepreneurs, I would say you have to, first of all, believe in yourself and in your business idea, all right, in your product. I would also add that you have to be passionate about your product and the solution that it brings to people's lives. So passion and purpose for me has always, for if I look at my own businesses, that has always been the main driver. But also, and this is a rather weak thing for most of the women that I have worked with, is um, estimating your value, saying, you know, looking at money and also not being afraid talking about money you know when when we look at salaries um around the globe we also always see that women get less money paid than men and when you talk to the ceos why is that then they say well she didn't ask for more <laughs> so you know it's like a cat that bites a tail we have that saying in germany so um my, my suggestion for female entrepreneurs would be you know don't forget the money aspect don't be shy talking about money it's a you know it's it, it's just a means and and something that is needed in business although it's not more important than the passion and the love for what you do but it is important and it it you know it's a rule of the game so don't be shy about it mm. good advice so Kirsten you've achieved so much um, during your career. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued now. You know, you live in Germany, you live in America. You've done some amazing things. What, um, you know, what haven't you achieved? What are, you, what are your plans moving forward? 
Oh, my God. Well, first of all, I don't think I have achieved much. If you look at the global scale of things, I'm just on my way and I will, mm-hmm. you know, go, I will keep going. I keep saying uh, in my talks, you know, don't settle, go wild. And I intend I, uh, <laughs> like to do what I preach. So yeah, uh, I'm going wild by, you know, keeping, keeping um, the, the passion for growing and learning. Um, uh, through my talks that bring me um, to new countries, into new industries, through people I meet, and and also through new adventures. Uh, my next adventure actually is something where I was a bit hesitant about doing it because it brings me to the cold, and I like being in the warm, living in Miami many months a year. But my next adventure will probably be with huskies in the mm. snow. I'll go for a big, big trip. And I'm sure... Afterwards, Chris, we can connect again and talk about what can be learned from dogs in leadership because I know there's a lot to learn. I have a dog myself. (laughs) And she teaches me. (laughs) (laughs) So it is fascinating. I mean, are you you going to go up to Alaska or somewhere like that or – I'm not sure. I'm. I'm. First, I have to bring together um, the the guide, and I'm still, as I said, I'm still. fighting with my inner will of how cold I would accept it to be. I don't think it's going to be Alaska. It might be Norway or something like that. Um, Finland. But it will be an intense, again, it will be an intense situation with animals because I learned so much from animals and they give me so much in inner, they feed my inner passion that you know, probably a week with huskies, um, it will fuel me for 10 years again to come with business. So I intend to stay fueled. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I've done a little husky trip and it was fantastic, but I've got a friend who's an adventurer who's uh, did a husky trip, I think last year. So we'll have to have a chat after the breaks so if I can put oh, you in. Absolutely. Um, so I'm just um, thinking I've got about a minute left. I wonder if you've got a final message that you'd like to leave us with. Oh, wow. Final messages. <laughs> I think we've talked about so, so many interesting things. And my message would be, if it's just a minute, you know, don't look too much in the outer world for those role models. I keep hearing, you know, you're such a role model. Look in your inner self. Look what drives your passion, what you love, what you have loved as a child, maybe, and go Go find that, and if you found it, then go fulfill it. Because just because we're old or we get older and we have those routines and businesses and families and all that, we shouldn't stop dreaming. Dreams will make us grow and become a better leader in the end. So I would say look in your inner self and then go out, create impact, and be happy. Excellent. Well, fantastic. well, I just want to mention something as well before we leave, uh, Kirst. I know you've uh, you founded uh, a, a foundation uh, for female leaders called um, Astra. Um, people can find information at astraia.org. Uh, and you've got 36 sort of amazing leaders who are giving lots of inspiration and helping people. Do you want to give me 15 seconds on that before we go? Yes, um, 15 seconds. Um, There are millions of girls around the world that don't have access to go to school. They are not allowed inside of schools. So we help girls to get education around the world. And we think education is the first step to female leadership. If you you can't write and read, you know, you will have not a good chance to become a leader. But we need more 
female leaders in the world and good leaders. So if you want to support Astraya, we'd be happy if it's by sharing, if it's by donations, if it's by volunteering, just get in touch with us and we'll be happy to have you. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Kirsten. An absolute pleasure talking to you today. I'm going to have to um, cut a short now there. If you want to find out more about uh, Kirsten, go to kirstenplayvay.com. Um, That's Kirsten, K-R-E-R-S-T-I-N-P-L-E-H-W-E.com. And the other um, site is astra, A-S-T-R-A-I-A. Org. Uh, on next week's show, we have Tony Newman. With Tony, we're going to talk about being different. She's an amazing marketeer, works with amazingly big, famous uh, American companies, helping them around innovation. Do join us uh, next week. Uh, and once again, huge thank you to Kirsten. Thank you, Chris, and our best wishes to all of you. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.